0: Remain standing and take out that red book there, that Bible in your pew, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. If you're visiting uh, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they numbered that, and beginning in the New Testament, it's on page 58 in the back of your Bible, if that seems a little strange to you. And Luke, the second chapter, in verses 8 through 14. Perhaps the most famous of all the stories of all birds of all time. Luke, remember, he is a Greek doctor, and he writes, he has researched all this. He, of course, had a chance to interview Mary, living in Ephesus, and he gives the most on the birth narrative, and this incredible appearing on this night. Together, as God's people, let's read aloud verses 8 through 14. As you read, listen carefully, you're reading God's Word. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. you will find the child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. This sins the reading of God's holy word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but that never will. I'm curious, how many of you have not started shopping yet? Yay! Gentlemen, I'll be taking an expedition out on the 24th if you want to go with me. so You know, it's remarkable that this story that we know so well, and we've been doing a series of looking at the characters that make up Christmas and the character qualities. Last week we looked at Joseph, uh, this young man. He might have been 19 or 20. uh, He had no idea what was going on, but in Hebrew he was Sadiq righteous he did what was right even when he didn't understand well, this morning i'm going to take a look at some people that we all know about but really in their lives the shepherds and what was in the world was going on their head that first night well our drama team has a little insight maybe to what the first shepherds were thinking
1: Sir, uh, what we have to tell you is going to be a little hard to believe. I was there, even I don't believe it. But it's true. Every word, not a bit of it's made up.
2: We were tending our flock by night. Which is basically what we do. I mean, that and tend our flock by day. (laughs) So I guess you could say day or night as shepherds, we are very tender.
1: We had just settled down the herd with the herd, when suddenly from out of nowhere... This is the part you're this- not going to believe.
2: I was there even, I don't believe it, and I've seen a lot of things in my day. Well, actually, that's not true. I've seen a lot of sheep in my day. <laughs> but this was like no sheep I had ever seen.
1: May I? I'm just setting the stage. When suddenly, from out of nowhere, this angel
2: appeared. Don't believe it, do you? A real angel. I was there even. I don't believe him. Tell him what it looked like. I will. It was huge. It was more than huge. It was Goliath in size. It must have been as big as, what would you say? Ten sheep? Ten sheep. Stacked on top of one another. Which you can't do, because they won't stand for it all the wiggling about. I
1: thought we agreed I was going to tell the story. You are, and you're telling it beautifully. I'm merely embellishing. Yeah, I've had to tell him about the floating. Yeah, th- th- we're looking at this man floating in the sky. So we do what any normal person would do. We ran. <laughs> ran for the hills.
2: But, but you know, the herd, the herd was spooked, too. It was like running through an obstacle course of wool.
1: <laughs> and then the angel spoke. His was a voice that shook the ground and yet soothed my spirit. So I stopped. I turned. I looked at him. Not me. I'm tossing sheep left and right to get out of there. It said, fear not, for I bring you tidings of great joy that shall be for all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior. And this will be a sign unto you. For you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And then a multitude of heavenly hosts appeared. We're surrounded by giants, 10, 15 sheep high. They were praising God, saying, glory be to God on the highest and peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. Well, at this point, I'm praying, please be pleased with me. Please be pleased with me. <laughs> and just as soon as they appeared, they were gone. So, you know, we thought about it and, and we ran. We must have ran all the way to Bethlehem. It was there that we found Mary, Joseph and the baby in the manger, just as the angels had said. Have you have any idea how many mangers there are in Bethlehem?
2: <laughs> I, I don't know the exact number, but it's more than you can shake a sheep at. We told them everything we had seen and heard about their child. And they were very sweet. But still, they were a lot like, yeah, tell us something we don't know. <laughs> I mean,
1: this was the Christ child. We fell on our face before him. The Savior of the world was right before us. We saw the face of God. Who, in case you're
2: interested, is very cute. <laughs> He's got these cute little cheeks. You just want to squeeze them, you know?
1: Do you mind? Just, you know, filling in a few details. Go on. I'm done now. All right. So then we left, glorifying and praising God every step of the way. And when we finally got back here, well, that's when we realized that, well, um, you take it. Ah, sir, your sheep
2: were missing. Yeah. We we, we don't know where they went. They were just gone. All of them. You're totally (laughs) sheepless. Maybe the angel took them. (laughs) (laughs) I told you he wouldn't believe it.
0: i tell you, one of the regrets you will have this holiday season, if you're not here Saturday night or Sunday night, uh, they've got a lot of this with all the choir and the band. It's going to be a wonderful time of telling Christmas through the ages, from there up through today. It's going to be a wonderful time. We invite you to come back. It's free. Bring a friend that maybe is really in a tough place in life. What a great way to minister to them. Let me ask you something. When you get great news, who would you call First. Would it be a family member? Would it be a friend? I've only known one person in my ministry that actually won a fairly large part of a lotto. And do you know who the first person he called? True story. He called a girl that had dumped him two months earlier. Is that right? True story. But, you know, we celebrate this incredible, stunning truth. That the Lord chose to announce the invasion of him into this planet by his son to the shepherds. Now, you and I, we have a tendency to glamorize the shepherds, and maybe because Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, or all the stories. Shepherds were the outcast of society. You do your homework a shepherd could have no legal right in Israel because they were nomadic. If you were a shepherd, you could not just walk into the temple without an elaborate purification process. And these are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who love God, but they were unclean in their life. And yet when God tells his plan of all plans, he doesn't tell the kings, and he doesn't tell the educated, and he doesn't tell the wealthy and the successful. He tells these down and out men freezing in the night. Why does God do that? Because God's ways are not our ways. His ways are above ours, he says, as the heavens are above the earth. And it is from this incredible truth, the character quality, I think as we study this morning, that we so need about the shepherds, was their teachableness. We use the word humbleness. They're willing because the two greatest truths that you will ever have in your life, and remember this for the next 80 years, God has done the revealing you and I must do the responding. God has revealed who He is. We are not in the dark about life. Sometimes in the midst of the pain in this fallen world, sometimes we say, Lord, where are you? But God has stepped out of the darkness in the birth of His Son and shown us who He is. And yet, it does us no good if we don't respond. The shepherds, when they heard, as they said, took off running. I don't know if they were throwing sheep right or left or not. But they responded. And that's why their lives were changed. Just because you and I are exposed to something does not mean we experience it. I know people that are exposed to unbelievable beauty all the time and just pass right by it. You can be exposed to all the health food in the world and if you don't take it, it does you no good. I walk by many salad bars on the way to order my onion rings all the time, I tell you. (laughs) Doesn't help me at all. And this morning just because you're exposed to this great story and this unbelievable, complete forgiveness of God, if you and I don't respond, it does us no good. But if we do, it'll change your life forever. Let's turn back and take a look at this. Turn with me back to the Gospel of Luke and to this second chapter on page 58. Luke is a great storyteller. I personally think Luke was probably, he's the only Gentile to write any of Scripture. I think he may have been a proselyte Jew. We don't know that. We know he's the beloved physician who travels with the Apostle Paul. is why he knows so much of the story and he interviews the Apostles who were alive. He also tells the most about the birth narrative as a doctor because this is not a normal birth. <laughs> and here in the 8th eighth chapter, 8th eighth, uh, verse, excuse me, the 2nd chapter. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, and they were terrified. And then the angel of the Lord says, Do not be afraid, for see, I bring you good news. And the word is megalagras, great mega joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. What I love is that the angels connect the dots for them. And the reason why the angels do that, God reveals himself. Not all the time in the way we want, but you know what I'm talking about in your life and mine. But he reveals himself to those that want to hear. Sometimes the most obvious things we miss. Sherlock Holmes took Watson out camping to teach Watson about observing the forest. And they were sleeping at night and about midnight, Sherlock woke up Watson and said, Watson, wake up, what do you see? And Watson said, I see the stars. And Sherlock says, what does that mean to you? And Watson said, well, Sherlock, it means that there's a great galaxy out there. And I I see that we're so small, but there's so much beauty in there. There must be an order and a hand behind it all. And he said, Sherlock, what does it mean to you? And he said, Watson, you ninny, it means someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) Sometimes the most obvious things we completely miss. And sometimes, I know some of you will get that on the way home. I can tell with that. Uh, <laughs> that God has done things and right over our head all the time. But God has revealed himself. Do you know the reason that I think that God has a right to say that none of us will stand before him with any excuse is he has revealed himself. Paul says in Romans, God has revealed himself through the physical creation. If any of you are good scientists, you know, even cosmologists, that science does not tell you there is no God. All the facts we know of biology and physics tells you nothing chins itself above itself. There's some reason behind it. And all of science will tell you that there was an original cause. Now, you can choose to believe in mechanistic evolution, that it just happened on its own. I don't have enough faith for that because the numbers don't match. We know there is a creator. Another thing we know is that God has revealed who Jesus is. Jesus, when he was born and lived in this... And you don't have to believe in Christ this morning. God has given us the dignity of freedom. But you've got to explain something. He fulfilled hundreds of prophecies in his life that he could not control. And we know from historical control that it happened. Someone has calculated if you covered... The state of Texas was silver dollars, 11 inches high, and you flew over, and if there was one silver dollar, you randomly stopped and pulled it up. There's greater odds you'll do that than to arrange what happened in Christ's life. So you can choose not to believe that Christ is who he says to be. But it's not working with the numbers. God has revealed himself. And for any of us who have Hindu and Buddhist and Muslim friends. They might be fine people, I want to tell you, but they follow teachings of a religion that are not falsifiable. They're not from history. They're theories and theologies. This book is born out of hardcore facts. God raised up a man from Abraham, and he made a family, and they went down into Egypt, and there was the Exodus event. He raised up kings, and he chastened and he called them and came down to a little Jewish girl at her prayers by the name of Mary and this child was born into this world in this way that no one could have expected and he lived the perfect life and he went to a cross and he cruelly died for each of us and it was resurrected and seen by eyewitnesses you'll die for something you think is true none of us in here will die for something we know is a lie and these boys said they were hiding for their life and they went to brutal deaths because they saw him alive and passed it along, and here we are today. God has revealed himself. I want to tell you, if Jesus is not alive, Paul said that we are to be pitied above all men. If there's the bones of Jesus of Nazareth somewhere over in Palestine, you're looking at one of the biggest suckers of all time. But if he's alive, this is the missing piece of the puzzle that everything else makes sense. Like I said, you know the sun is out, not because you look at it, but you see everything else in light of it. And this is the story behind everything. All of you great screenwriters out there, all the stories of heroes and villains and contests, it's just bubbling up from this story. This is the story of the universe underneath. God has revealed himself. But what I love about, and I love this, in verse 11, But the angel said to them, the first thing an angel always says when they break into this time-space continuum, it's all right, it's all right. Don't be afraid. Now, we know that times there were angels in Scripture that lived among us in a lower, obviously, manifestation that you couldn't understand. But an angel in their natural state, if one appeared right here, right now, we'd all be on the floor sucking tile right now. (laughs) And this angel appears and says, do not be afraid. I bring you great news. Then you can't even shut the mouths of the choirs of heaven. I don't know if they prepared for this or if they just started singing. And the shepherds, these humble outcast men said, whoa. If they would have just sat there and went heavy, heavy, it wouldn't have changed their life. And they said, let's go check it out. They took the steps. And my friends, my brothers and sisters, I don't care what you know or what you hear, how many cassettes you buy or how many books you read, unless you respond in faith and say, all right, if you're alive, I take you up on it. It does us no good. But when we respond, and they did something. Herod knew about the child. Remember, he called the scribes in. Where's the Messiah to be born? They said in Bethlehem. He wanted to kill him. The scribes knew. that they go? No. It was the shepherds, their teachable humbleness. And Jesus' his whole life is one of just simply confronting people lovingly and gently and in their face. Make a decision about me. He would grow and he would live as a young blue-collar worker up north. Carpenter, he's really the Greek is technon. I think he worked with stone as well, a craftsman. And he would be baptized by John and the Holy Spirit would come upon him. And he would begin preaching saying, repent for the kingdom is here. And then he would heal. He would heal people like no one had ever healed. And do it on Shabbat, on Sabbath, when he wasn't supposed to. And he's saying, what do you think? Who am I? He would confront. He hung around the hookers, the whores, the alcoholics, the outcasts, the sinners, it said. The publicans hung with him. And he said, what do you think? Who am I? He would confront the hypocrisy of the religious leadership all the time and say, out of love, what do you decide? Even at the sham of his trial, Pilate, the Roman procurator, would stand in all the regalness of Rome and here was this beat carpenter and he said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus' response, what do you think? And Pilate is outraged. He says, am I a Jew? You're people of it. He has the power to crucify him. And Jesus says, be very careful, Pilate. You are deciding. And remember, Pilate wanted to let him go, but he gave in to the crowd. And Jesus completely confronted him. And finally, when he goes to the cross, the Romans were so creative. They wanted to maximize pain and life extension. They had boiled people, but they died from the shock. Romans, we know, stripped people alive, skinned them alive, but they died from the loss of body fluids. And they came up with a Phoenician invention, but they added a twist with the nails called crucifixion. And there they would beat people so bad and hang them. Sometimes they would last for days upon the cross and utter shame and pain. And Jesus, and they beat him almost to death. He can't even carry his cross. Every time they hit him, I believe through his eyes, he simply says, There is nothing you can do that will ever make me stop loving you. And they string him up and finally his arms probably dislocated. If they could dislocate you, you would die faster. And he screams out. And what does he scream? Forgive them. They know not what they have done. And when he says it is finished and he died, everything I have done and you have ever done was paid for by his blood completely everything you will ever do if you let him take you up on the deal. I don't care what anybody told you. I don't care what you think this morning. I want to give you reality. Someday you're going to stand in front of Christ and he's going to look at you with eyes of love and he's either going to say welcome home or he's going to look at you and say I never knew you. Depart from me forever. Why do you think I'm up here as a preacher? Some of you I know are wondering, why are you the preacher? I uh, wonder that. I read your letters. Yes, I do. But uh, I want to tell you why I'm here. I want to tell you my story. I've never really told it in completeness to this church yet. I don't tell it a lot because I'm a... Shamed of being an idiot. I know people that relish in their life of sin for being idiots. I just don't get that. And also, it's very hard for me to share it because my grandmother was Jewish, and so I cry at Coke commercials all the time. But I grew up in a wonderful Christian home. My father was a minister. I learned about Christ. When I was little, God was so much, I thought a part of my life. My brother and I, We knew that when Jesus took us to heaven, you had to go through outer space and there's no air there. So we had practiced holding our breath in the bathtub. And that was in high school. Uh, No, it wasn't. And, you know, being a a PK, you know, it's hard to explain, you know, how you got to prove to the world that you want to be Mr. Bad and Tough. And my brother started hanging around and I did a rather salty crowd and the stupid things of the 60s and running off into that life. And I did the things which I will live with all my life. And I didn't drift from Christianity. I sprinted farther and farther away. And of the ten guys I hung around, only two of us uh, had graduated. And I remember in my senior year talking to some of my friends who had already dropped out. One of them, he's a friend of mine, but he's so mean. And he would killed a guy. And I remember talking to him through the plexiglass saying, We've got to get our act together. I remember standing in the court the last time and the judge closing my, the manila folder and saying, the court is very aggravated with your record. And my life, my father, when I was a junior, left the ministry and our family and told me Christianity was a bunch of bunk and it affected me about this much and my life kept going worse and worse. And one day, I was sitting in a field and coming off of some drugs and I was sitting there thinking, you know, my life, what if you didn't have to worry about life? What if you could just live a day at a time and there was a God who cared about you? And I thought, what do you think you were taught when you were little? And I said, and I reached out, and I said, if there's a God out there and you're so tough, I dare you to change my life. If I were God... I would have said, okay, you're a toad. How about that? <laughs> I mean, what a audacious prayer. But it was sincere enough, and God took me up on it. I mean, I didn't levitate or anything. My Jeep started. That was near miraculous, you know, uh, that night. But And I just started to tell people about it. And my old friends that were getting high with and getting in trouble, they wanted nothing to do with me ever again, and I was alone. And... And John, you know, I want, you expect me to say, and after that, my life never had troubles. So I want to tell you, it went in the tank. My fiance, who had first given her life to the Lord, I remember, within a year, I was standing over her body, she was killed in a hit and run by a guy I'd been in a fight with. And I remember putting my coat over her on the side of the road and saying, "If this is Christianity." I don't want it. And something grabbed me. said, if you think you can leave me, try. And I couldn't. And I started, got on with life. And I drove a truck for a couple of years after high school. I tell everybody, when you graduate with a 1.2, you feel called to drive trucks. And <laughs> every time I say that, Teamsters always say, you calling us dumb boy? I say, no, sir, no, sir. Uh, but I was starting a Bible study just to tell people that he could love me. And someone said, you should go in the ministry. And I said, forget it. I saw destroy a man's faith in our family. But I kept hungering more and more. And they said, you should try. And I said, well, what's it take? They said, it only takes eight years of school. And I said, well, I barely did 12 and six of them had a recess, you know. Uh, <laughs> but God uh, called in... Uh, by his grace, I was able to keep up an average enough to get scholarships to pay and to put myself through. And, and I went in, I met up at college, the love of my life, Carolyn, and God has so blessed me with a woman and three of the greatest kids on earth. And I tell you, I never need to sell Jesus. If you have not given your heart to Christ, and if you can look at him on this cross, His blood, taking the hit you deserve and I deserve, and just walk away. What does he have to do to get you? He's given you the dignity of freedom. Maybe you're enjoying the world too much. Hey, the party seems fun. People say drugs aren't fun. They don't know how to do drugs. (laughs) And people that tell you that you'll never have fun and sex with anybody, I don't know who they're sleeping with but it's such a lie it's such a lie because it's so empty and the pleasure of the world is hollow it's nothing compared to walking with him you planning on doing it going to live your life and say i'll get around to him later you harden your heart you don't decide you don't just say 2 and 2 is 4 jesus of the messiah i guess i'll come to him jesus said no man can come to me unless the father draws him We are caught in this river of sin. And periodically God will stop the river and say, now, do you want to come out? And if you don't take that hand and say yes, you go back down the river. The shepherds, they were so wise. As soon as they saw, they responded and they said, Lord, yes. And you can have a peace and a promise, not just for when we stand before the Lord. You know, you think it's this fun on this side with Him. Wait till we get to the other side. But in the middle of this crazy world, and it's going to get crazier, He can be there with you, but only if you respond.
1: I'm
0: going to ask you to do something this morning. It may not seem very Presbyterian, but it's very biblical. I'm going to ask you to change your life. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, we're going to sing a song together, and then I'm going to ask you to simply come down here, Maybe shake my hand and stand down here. We don't want to manipulate anybody to anything. But if God is calling you, man, do not pass this by. We'll just simply have a little prayer together and send you into your life. Maybe Jesus has just become a philosophy. You know the story of the prodigal son. You know who the one was in trouble was the elder brother who was with the father, but his heart was never there. If you're Jewish, I'm not asking you to become a Gentile. I'm asking you to come to the Messiah. If you're Catholic, I'm not asking you to become a Protestant. I'm asking you to come to Christ. And I don't care wherever you're at, it's to come to Him. Maybe you want to come as a couple and say, I want the Lord in the middle. Maybe you want to rededicate yourself. I don't know. But I know that when God calls, it's up to us. I bring you good news of mega joy. There's a Savior. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I thank you that you could love somebody like Brewer. And God, not only the dumb things I did do, but the dumb things I continue to do. Lord, I know how much you love these people. You'd give your only boy. If they had been the only one, you would have gladly come. And so, Lord, I pray right now, O Holy Spirit, as you are doing what you do, those that you are calling, would you give them the strength and the wisdom to step forward and to begin a new chapter with you. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this for your sake. Amen.